am David James Young here once again for all my friends are in bar bands. It's Friday, uh, not Thursday. I'm very sorry that I couldn't get my shit together in time, but I have been super busy uh, with a lot of writing and uh, a lot of uh, preparation for my appearance at the uh, National Young Writers Festival, which is happening in Newcastle uh, next Thursday. Uh, so that is... Uh, What's going on? I do apologize, but uh, hopefully you've survived that 24 hours and you are here now. And that is the main thing. If you're uh, looking for something to do tonight, I would suggest getting along to Blackwire Records. I always suggest going to Blackwire Records, but uh, this weekend in particular, uh, there's some pretty great stuff happening tonight. Uh, Hannah Band and Ted Dancing with Wolves, uh, friends of the show. Uh, playing with uh, Scumhouse and Divorces, uh, which is a brand new band. I think playing their first show, maybe? Don't quote me on it, but I think so. Uh, but yeah, all the proceeds for that show are going to helping the absolutely incredible uh, One Brick Today, the uh, collective slash initiative, etc., uh, putting on really awesome and really, really... Uh, great uh, queer punk shows all around the shop. Meanwhile, this coming Saturday, uh, Oslo are wrapping up their tour about nothing, uh, and they have got a massive, massive lineup for this particular show on Saturday night at Blackwire Records. It's Oslo, Corpus, Jacob, Sleepy, and Alison Gallagher. Great mix, and uh, a really interesting lineup. So... Yeah, it's going to be super, super fun. Also, if you are in Sydney on Monday night, I know it's on Monday, which is a weird one, but get down to the Bald Face Stag and come to the Cancer Batch show. Uh, these guys are excellent hardcore punk band from Canada, and they are playing with uh, two previous guests of the show, High Tension and Bare Bones. Of course, they're, they're uh, respective lead singers, Karina Utomo and... Tom Kennedy have both been on the podcast and were absolutely awesome. So if you're a fan of those bands, go back and listen to those episodes. I strongly recommend it. All right, now we are getting into the thick of it. We are getting into our Melbourne episodes. Uh, as you guys will probably know, I went to Melbourne for Poison City Weekender and I got to record a bunch of really cool chats there. So I'll be sharing a few of those over the course of the next month or so. And the first of which is Mr. Andy Hayden. Andy is a remarkable label owner, bass player, and friend. Uh, you musically will know him from his time in bands like Fast Times, A Death in the Family, and Freakwave. Uh, but most of you will know him as the head honcho over at Poison City Records, which he has uh, run and founded since... 2003. So we talk about that, we talk about a death in the family, we talk about the various experiences that he has had as a performer and as a businessman over the last oh, 15 or however long years. He's an absolute legend. This is an interesting one though as well because it is split into two parts at very different points. Uh, so part one that you're about to hear was recorded in the back of the Reverence Hotel uh, in Footscray, where the pre happened, and this was on the Thursday night. 
And the second part, because uh, sadly uh, we didn't get any time over the rest of the weekend to, to finish the chat, on the Monday night at the Northcote Social Club where Iron Sheik, the sidekicks, and uh, future guests, apart from this, uh, all played. It was a really, really good show. Uh, but yes, we were finally able to get our shit together in order to chat for this episode. So yeah, it's a two-parter that's kind of just been spliced together. I think it's fine. You know what? It, there's there's varying degrees of noise and, and whatnot in the background, but as I've said in the past, fuck off, it's free. You know, you guys know the deal. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. I certainly did. This is also episode 30, and I'm absolutely amazed that we've gotten this far. Thank you to everyone who has been a part of these 30 episodes. Here's the 30 more, motherfuckers. This is Andy Hayden. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Andy Hayden. Hi. How are you, man? Good, man. Getting there, yeah. I've, I've had a beer, so I'm semi-relaxed. <laughs> First of many, I'm assuming, over the next few days. Yeah, kind of get it gets hard for that side of things these days. Uh, yeah, more about spreadsheets and driving people around and backline than beers. But oh, anyway, man. yeah, maybe on Monday. Maybe <laughs> on Monday we'll have a little little relax. We'll see. We've still got a few days to go. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, out the back at uh, the Reference Hotel. This is officially the first ever podcast I've recorded in Melbourne. So awesome. you get to be the first, man. Stoked to be part of it. Oh, absolutely yeah. stoked to have you, ma'am. Uh, so, of course, we're here for Poison City Weekend. It's the, the pre-cand. Not, not quite the calm before the song, because it's not a, not a particularly calm night. It's more, more like the warm-up. Yeah. More like the warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> the warm-up before the inferno. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a pretty close uh, uh, description of what's about to happen, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, as, uh, we were just talking about this off-mic, but this, was, this is my uh, fourth year in a row, and I, I can remember the first year... Uh, just having no idea what to expect, just being completely blown away, just not only by the level of quality of just bands across the entire thing, but uh, just the welcomingness and the community and just... Oh, and how fucking hard everyone went, you know? <laughs> God damn, like, I'd never seen anything like... I was like... T- 22, or, yeah, or, no, nearly 22, I, I was still 21 at that point, and it was, it was, I don't know, like, I was still a bit of an elevator in that, in that side of, side of things, so it was a yeah. bit of a fucking crazy experience for me. Yeah, a, a few of the venues ran out of beer that year, first year, and they've, they've slowly learnt that it's, um, yeah, it's de- definitely a party crowd, but, um, yeah, we're stoked that people keep coming back, and, you know, it's something that, um, I think, you know, it's grown organically because mm. of like a word of mouth. I don't think we've really done anything that different year to year, and yeah. it's just um, you know people have fun one year and they sort of put it on their calendar and um, turn up the next year. So yeah. I'm I'm just grateful that anyone shows up and sure. you walk around and see everyone smiling and yeah, having a yeah. good time. That's that's like the reward for me. For sure, it, it must be great to you know have those recurring characters. I guess you know oh, just totally. be like. Oh, you were here the last year and the year before that and the year before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, sometimes it sort of blurs into 
into one, especially, you know, we we kind of mix up the venues a little bit, but there's yeah, a yeah. few core venues that we've used, you know, from day dot and yeah. obviously working with Matt and Mel who used to own the art house. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's where the whole thing started yeah, and yeah. the kind of the community around the art house and you know, when I first started the label they were really supportive and, mm. and so nice to us and the fact that they've got the reverence now, it's you know, that's we've kind of incorporated that venue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for that same reason, but yeah, it's cool. You sort of have deja vu every now and again. So, yeah. didn't we do this last year? Yeah. And then you know, you sort Almost of like exactly, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And it's just like, yeah, I've got. You know, the only difference is more grey hairs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a few silver foxes. It's a, yeah, it's a beautiful definitely. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Jamie's been rocking that salt and pepper for as long as I've known him. Jamie and I are exactly the same age, and we've got about exactly the amount of grey hairs at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose I suppose the weekender itself is a good place to to start in terms of yeah our connection. It's that's where we met for the first time. Tell us a little bit about how the idea came about in, in just terms of creating the idea of just like showing what Poison City has to offer to people yeah I guess the I've sort of said before that the inspiration was really you know the fest in Florida and a few few of those smaller like label run fests which you know uh, as opposed to like a larger outdoor festival it's it's more capturing that community spirit and uh, I guess you know I was lucky enough to go over to the fest playing with um, a Death and the Family band mm. I used to play in and coming back from that we'd sort of had the label going and we had a handful of bands from each state yeah. kind of on the label by that stage so it seemed you know seemed like a really good idea to, to kind of have an event in Melbourne that we could invite all our friends bands and bands we were working with on the label and you know we didn't definitely didn't want to make it like a label showcase as such that no. wasn't the idea it was more just like our friends bands bands that we work with throughout the year bringing yeah. them all together in one spot for like a bunch of shows at venues we really like and venues that support us all the time yeah and you know just just having a having a party and it you know that was as complicated as it was at the start you know (laughs) the meaning behind it is is still hopefully exactly the same it's you know it's just meant to be a a sort of communal event and a family reunion these people that hang out with each other at shows all year round or go on tour together and you know all these really cool little networks that spawn from the same idea. Mm, sure. At what point do you think uh, you kind of noticed the shift into something bigger than what you'd originally intended where you are just like, oh shit, there's actually like a, a serious demand for what's going on here? Uh, I think it was probably the first year that we did a show at the Corner Hotel. Yeah, like, sure. And the, the Corner Hotel, while it's you know essentially still a bar venue, it's, it's, it's a big venue, you know, it yeah. holds nearly a thousand people. And, yeah. Um, we had a show there with the Smith Street Band and Joyce Manor and Cheap Girls yes, and Luca yeah, Brasi and I remember that really well. And being ever the pessimist, I was sort of like, well, you know, let's try it. And you know, even if we get four or five hundred people, it's going to be fun. And you know, we'll see how it goes. And yeah. it sold out like virtually straight away. And mm. I was like, holy shit, this is yeah. this is crazy that this many people. And then we we kind of look at the the ticket where we're sending the tickets, and there's a massive chunk of the tickets are going not just within Melbourne but you know to regional areas and people interstate and that's really a really special thing like for something that I started out as just this small kind of fun little event the fact that someone's paying money to get on a plane from Brisbane Mm. to come down that's so flattering and it's something I you know I was kind of blown away by let alone you know hundreds of people now coming from interstate yeah of course 
it's a, it means a lot. Yeah, no doubt. That was a really kind of bittersweet night, actually, because like we were watching all these incredible bands, and I think just after Luca played, we all found out that Abbott got elected. Yeah, that's right. That's oh, right. Yeah. and so like. Uh, so Smiths were about to come on and everyone's just like oh fuck this fuck yeah. this what the fuck is going yeah. on outside of this fucking venue yeah. and then they just went on and just fucking tore the place apart yeah. you know yeah. like, and I think I think that's like reaffirming it's like you know regardless of what's going on in the you know broader world it's like all these people are here for you know for each other and yeah. it's like you know it's a really it's it was like a reaffirming thing. It could have easily been like a negative, yeah. you know, let's tear the place apart. But it yeah. was really a positive, a positive reaction, For sure. and basically saying doesn't matter who's the president, prime minister, whatever. Yeah, we're still going to do this, and you know, this is this is our world. And, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man! Uh, so I wanted to uh, take it back, and uh, I want to pinpoint where you became interested in music to begin with uh, was it a family thing or a school thing or obviously you, you don't grow up wanting to be involved in the business side of things but no like, not at all <laughs> but like uh, just as a just as a thing that was interesting to you where did that kind of uh, well, pick up it was I distinctly remember it was like a friend of my mum's had a son that was like a couple of years older than me okay. at, at high school and in, yeah, yeah. in year seven or eight he, I guess he was in year eight or nine and before then I'd you know I'd listen to music and you know you listen to whatever's going whatever's on there on the like radio, you know yeah. Bon Jovi and Motley Crue or you know yeah. when, when you're like you know 11 or 12 but then yeah. I remember being like yeah kind of 13 or 14 and he was a couple of years older and mm. I grew up in like a country area and Whereabouts? My, uh, in Portland just outside Portland in western Victoria right okay yeah, so um, small school, it was like, you know, a lot of surf, sort of, you know, country surf kind of culture. But then there was this one guy that was like, you know, it was a friend of my mum's son. And yeah. we got introduced and he was a few years older and he was like a badass metal dude. Like, you know, oh, Slayer really? Backpatch, you know, had his own like bedroom outside the house, out in the shed. Whoa. Um, you know, and the full long hair. And I was just like, this dude's so awesome. And he is like the only metal head that I know yeah, and yeah. he does not give a shit <laughs> and uh, I ended up really like you know at that at that age just sort of like yeah I kind of surf and I kind of listen to music and you know and then I started skateboarding and yeah. at, you, d- you just latch on you just sort of latch on to whatever's yeah. going on yeah, and yeah. so at some point I was like really you know like kind of admired this guy that at high school he sort of didn't seem to have any friends and he was like mm. real like out, proper Outsider, yeah. You know, it's not like these days where everyone listens to alternative music. Or yeah. You know, it's, he was like dead set outsider. And yeah. at some point, he gave his mum to give my mum this mixtape of stuff, and it oh. had it had um, it was like the first half of like Metallica ride the lightning. It had some Shit. Black Flag on there. I think it even had some NWA on the on the nice. end, just like this mix of stuff. And it, for some reason, like the Metallica cross Black Flag kind of stuff, I was like, I've never heard anything like this. Yeah, and wow being 13 or 14 you're like you know you latch onto stuff pretty quickly yeah. and like this is my thing this is this what I, you know and I, I guess then I said it, you know not too far after that you started finding out about the Seattle thing and and then kind of you know at 15 or 16 I guess I came across local stuff like you know or go-go records and, yeah. and more like an Australian flavor of things and then started listening to the meanies and magic dirt and tumbleweed and all those bands as they were starting out yeah sure Scream Feeder and you know even early UMI and stuff and realising that yeah. hang on there's like this kind of 
whatever you call it, guitar music, punk rock, whatever, happens in Australia as well. It's not just an American thing. Yeah. And I guess that was, from there, I was just, you know, hooked on music, basically, and, like, wanted to find out about every label or every underground thing that I could. Yeah, and, of course. And, uh, yeah, I guess that, that was the starting point. But, yeah, it really, I can trace definitely trace it back to getting that tape and just going, what the fuck is this? Yeah. This is amazing. And it doesn't sound like Bon Jovi, and it doesn't sound like Metallica, and, uh, sorry, uh, you know, like Motley Crue or... <laughs> You know, it's actually badass kind of stuff. And hey, Motley Crue are pretty badass. Well, kind of in a in a like LA produced kind of yeah. million dollar record sounding way. Yeah, you know, black a flag place and for it, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, that really turned me on and to to that underground kind of music. And, so yeah. when did uh, when did the interest kind of shift into actually wanting to to play it? Being like, well, I love this. I want to actually like see if I can do it. You know around that sort of age 15 or 16 is when I had my first band I started like learning bass and oh, really? you know you yeah, had yeah. the kind of like couple of friends that learn guitar and then you know all of a sudden you're like alright we need a drummer and then we can have a band so you know yeah. you instruct one of your friends to go and buy a drum kit and you're the drummer Yeah. so yeah we did like a, a band we used to jam at a friend's house when we were like 15, 16 it was kind of like you know punk rock ska metal crossover oh, you know every whoa. every kind of genre mashed in that's um, crazy so what's the band called uh the first very first band i did was called predominance predominance this is like we're talking this was like 14 year old i've had four bass lessons and <laughs> now i'm going to join a band and then there was what a more band, do you need really that's right and then we did a band that was more like a yeah kind of like a scary punk rock kind of operation ivy mm. influence sort of band called field trip and we did that from like, it's like from 15, 16, somewhere around there. And then, um, yeah, played in, I moved to Geelong to go to university. Yeah, right. And I played in a band called Buzz Bomb there, just more like a sort of scuzzy Geelong kind of grungy rock kind of thing. And we did did that for quite a few years. And I don't know, just, just kept that interest in playing in bands and yeah. did a bit of touring around with that band. And, oh, wow, cool. Um, yeah, and then eventually moved to Melbourne, you know, after that. And yeah. I guess that's that's where Poison City thing kind of happened. So, at what point uh, do you remember the first time you actually played live? I do. Yeah, yeah. I was at uh, I was at a school social. Uh huh. And we did. I think it was that that band. The, that first band we did was like a garage proper garage metal band that actually never played a show outside the garage. Oh really? <laughs> you know, yeah. We're talking like yeah, a lot of hair, a lot of undercuts, but. A lot of microphones taped to broomsticks, but I don't think we ever actually played a gig. But um, in in field trip, we we played some stuff at uh, this local high school that we went to, and it was just cover. I can't even remember. I think we did Neil Young cover, mm. maybe a couple of early Nirvana covers, maybe like a. I can't remember. It was it was mostly covers, but yeah, we got uh, shut down after like four songs because I think. The school social didn't realise what sort of band they'd booked, and they're oh, like, "Ah, really? oh, yeah, you guys got to get off. We've got to plug in the plug in the real music." <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> real yeah, music. I love yeah. it. But I, I still remember getting the total buzz out of it. You know, people kind of like watching and like, yeah, you know. And I'm sure we were shocking and horrible, but um, yeah, but you never think about that, do you? At the no, time, you're just, you're just like, like yeah. "I want to, I want to do that again. I want to yeah, get up. again and again yeah, and yeah, again." Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> 
was Melbourne always like the end goal when you were like growing up when you were like growing out in, in that like outer regional area just like that's where I need to be yeah like, I think so like, once I, you discover where all the bands come from yeah like that. yeah yeah because I was like still you know into surfing and skateboarding and stuff and I had family in Geelong and obviously Geelong being near the coast I guess in my teenage years like high school years I was like you know I think I'll probably live in Geelong because it's near the coast and you know there was a good like early mid 90s there was a good good music scene in Geelong and it's like yep that's it and then you know once you live in Geelong then you're like yeah I'm kind of over this and you want to live in Melbourne and so you know I did four or five years in Geelong and then moved to Melbourne and you know I, I guess yeah that's where I was always headed yeah for sure what is I'm really curious as to what Geelong's music scene is like because I've only known like a handful of people to come from there. Like, yeah. Uh, well, uh, what, it, what what kind what do you get out of those five years there? <laughs> yeah. Well, like uh, in that in the mid '90s, Geelong had a really awesome music scene, mm. and you know, there's a lot of stuff like you know, Bored and Warped, and even like you know, Magic Dirt would play there continuously. Like mm. you know, they'd always do a bit doing launching something there, or you know, hometown shows or yeah, sure. And then there's like local stuff like Pop and Mummers, which is like so Geelong's equivalent to the Cosmic Psychos, or you know, and then Cosmic Psychos and the Meanies would play there, and mm. all that kind of like really good Oz underground pub rock kind of stuff. And it would be packed, like you know, the Barn Club there would be packed every weekend, yeah, and really yeah. like quite rowdy. And as a 19, 20 year old, kind of even quite scary, you know, it was like proper off the hook kind of you know beer throwing fighting out the front of the venue oh, kind of man. shows like it was it was the real deal <laughs> I can um, imagine that's hectic you know, um, and I think as you know it's a shame that I think the music scene's a bit flat there at the moment but mm. it's a shame because there's a university there and that, that used to drive all the the good bands to come through sure, town because yeah, there's a yeah. uni there and you know anything that was getting played on Triple J I guess would be guaranteed to pull a crowd and yeah you know, same with every unit really, yeah, yeah yeah that's right And but now it just seems I don't know it's just it's almost like it. maybe it needs to start again I know there's those bands like Oz Mutants and a couple other kind of garagey sounding bands coming mm. out of there that it sounds like it could revive everything you know there's people like like those sort of bands and yeah so I don't know I, I still really like you know, going back to Geelong every now and again. Yeah, and yeah. I've still got, you know, some family there and stuff. But, um, yeah, I think the music scene, it needs some good local bands to kind of revive it. I yeah, think that's, right. that's how it's going to get back to hopefully where, where it was, of being like a proper rock city, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So when you relocated to Melbourne, uh, was that with the rest of the band or did you leave the band behind? No, that, that was, uh, yeah, that was almost sort of in, be- in between bands. Like, when I first moved to Melbourne... Pretty much straight away, I started a new band called Fast Times, which okay. was like a kind of fun, sort of punky, hardcore, sort of fast and short songs and tongue in cheek, like a little bit, you know, taking the piss, nice. not, none too serious. And that was with one of the dudes used to play in like Mind Snare and stuff. Oh, and, cool. Um, and you were playing bass? Yeah, I was playing bass and a couple of mates from Geelong that were living around Melbourne at the time as well. So that was really, that was just a fun band. And then pretty soon after, I'd started. The Death and the Family with yeah. with Adam and Sarah and Matt. You know, for a while they did two bands and then eventually the Fast Time thing just dropped away and mm. the Death and the Family kind of got going and we started doing quite a bit of stuff and, you know, got overseas and, yeah, it was pretty serious there for a while. Yeah, that for band. sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Death and the Family. That's, I guess, musically, that's what a lot of people would know you best for. Uh, 
how did that kind of come about? Did you, what kind of stuff were you like listening to and going like, that's what I want to kind of do? Or, or was it just one well, of those more natural things? It was kind of, yeah. I mean, I was as soon as I got to Melbourne, I was like hanging around the art house like all the time. Yeah, you know, sure. basically going to shows and um, somewhere along the line I met Adam who is like, you know, he'd done bands that I loved when I, you know, back in the Geelong days, mm. bands like Force Fed and Trigger. Um, and Days of Iris, another mm. band that Adam did, and always like really respected him as a musician. And yeah, just some some point we just got talking at the bar one night, and he's like, "I want to do this new band." And I've been talking to Sarah Hardiman, who she now plays in Deathwish. She's a guitarist for Deathwish, yeah, cool, and cool. they're like, "Yeah, we've been been jamming with this other bass player. It's not going to work out. So you know, we want to start something." And I was like, you know, Adam, I knew Adam's love for like Discord records and mm. all that. We had very similar tastes at Huskadoo and all, all that yeah, sure, sort of yeah. noisy guitar rock kind of stuff. And yeah. I was like, that's what I really want to play. And, mm. you know, um, so we just started talking. We we're like, yeah, it worked it out. And we had another drummer at the start and then he couldn't really commit. So then Matt Bodium joined. And yeah, it's kind of just got going from there. Like pretty, pretty soon into it, we had, you know, we did an EP and then we did an album and then did some overseas touring and yeah it's kind yeah. of I don't know it was it seemed like we weren't you know we wouldn't say we were a full time band but for a couple of years there it was like yeah. it was, I would say it was, it's quite serious well, getting overseas is a pretty serious big yeah. deal like especially for like a, a relatively small time Australian band oh totally you know? I mean like, after the first time we went to Europe we did like I think it was like 45 shows in wow. 44 days or Holy something crazy shit, yeah. and, and before that we'd done like I don't know 10 day tour here and that was about as much as we'd done and, yeah. and when we got that back from that tour I'm like cool if if the band packs it in yeah. I can tick that off the you list I've done an overseas tour and we were lucky enough to get to do like a couple more US ones and more Euro ones and yeah. Hey again everyone it's David here just taking a quick break in between these two parts if you are a fan of the acts on Poison City Records, particularly more of the punk and hardcore persuasion, then you might be interested in Agatha. Agatha are a band from Washington, and they are making their Australian debut this coming October. They're going to be playing all around the place, and it's all thanks to One Brick Today, as we mentioned, the amazing collective helping awesome queer punk shows happen all around the country. So this October, Agatha are going to be playing with a bunch of friends of the show, including Oslo, Pikelet, Feel Like Us, Love Mall, and a stack more. It kicks off in Brisbane on Friday the 9th at the Visions Gallery, picking up the next day in Brisbane at the Caxton House, which is a house show, then down to the Sunshine Coast playing at the Time Machine on the 11th, on Monday the 12th, they'll be in Lismore playing at the Tats Hotel, going through to Nimbin the very next day at Ponyland. Uh, then Thursday, Newcastle, great show at the Hamilton Station Hotel. Uh, that Friday, huge, huge show uh, at the Red Rattler Theatre, which will also be uh, Tara Jane Gill uh, from One Brick Today's birthday, so it's going to be a big, big celebration. Next night at Blackwire Records, uh, Sunday afternoon at Jane's in Wollongong, uh, Tuesday the 20th, they'll be playing in Canberra at the Commonwealth Park Amphitheatre. Uh, in Adelaide on the 22nd at Animal House. On the 23rd at DIY Fest in Melbourne. 
and wrapping up with a huge show at the Reverence Hotel on the 24th of October with Pikelet, Fear Like Us and Die Cut. You can find out all the information uh, by going to One Brick Today's Facebook page, so facebook.com slash Today. And if you want to get some music in advance, you can do that at agatha206, the numbers, dot bandcamp.com. Agatha, coming to a venue near you. Get amongst it. Okay, we are back. We are. It is Monday evening. We are at the Northgate Social Club, and uh, a lot has gone down in between Thursday uh, evening and uh, and Monday night. So, how are you holding up after the weekend? Uh, at this stage, I am totally fried, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm also very pleased. Kind of trying to be excited about how well it all went. And, yeah, you know. So you should it, we do that? Like that's the most successful weekend ever. Yeah, like and the biggest too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was de- it was definitely the most people we've had at all the shows. We we kind of get better at you know like trying to make all the lineups as diverse as possible. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I, I just think you, you learn as you go. So you know, yeah. a few of the few of the things that from last year, even just logistical things that you know yeah. you sort of can reflect on, and you're like, right, this year we've got to try and do this better and that yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was I was really stoked. And I mean, like I, I always say it to people, but the biggest reward for all the work is kind of walking around and you know seeing everyone smiling and having a good time yeah, and, and thinking in in some small way we kind of you know brought these people together that may not have come and hung out together otherwise yeah and, absolutely yeah it's it's yeah, it's really humbling and i'm totally exhausted and my brain is messed up but <laughs> i'm also very happy and grateful that everyone had a good time yeah Fucking A, man. Uh, so, we were previously talking about uh, a Deppin family uh, touring the US and touring internationally for the first yep. time. So, when they when a Deppin family toured internationally for the first time, was that the t- first time you'd gone overseas as well? Uh, no, no. I'd, I'd been overseas a couple of times before. But I'd, never, I'd never been to the States, and yeah, I'd, right. I'd definitely... Um, was a lot of driving on that tour, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I'd never pictured seeing the state so extensively. You know, we, we first time around we stuck mostly to the east coast, but mm. as people would know that touring the states, you know, there's there's a lot of driving to be done, and yeah, no uh, doubt. You know, we do a lot of stuff in Texas and down south, and then through yeah. into Florida, and definitely the first time I guess it felt like being in a real touring band. You know, we've yeah. done we've done tours around Australia and quite a few support tours but the maximum you can really tour in Australia is you know I guess two weeks at the most and uh, yeah I mean we did we did Europe before we did the States but the US was something different it was a lot longer drives and it was you know smaller shows I guess you know the touring circuit in America is a lot harder for smaller bands because I guess the kind of music we were playing there's also like hundreds of bands that are playing yeah yeah, the hundreds of bands playing the same kind of thing and (laughs) you you really start at the bottom when you go over there for the first time yeah totally but um, it was also awesome you know yeah for sure something I'll never forget yeah no doubt do you think being Australian is kind of a a novelty to to American audiences because like I've always found that interesting like an American band will tour Australia and Australians will lose their minds you know but like an Australian band tours in America and like nine times out of ten it's like Oh, that's cute. You know, yeah, you guys yeah. play music too. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's a certain novelty factor yeah. you can kind of like use to your advantage, and yeah. you know, 
hey, we're from Australia. You've never heard our songs, but yeah, yeah. You know, we're fun and <laughs> come and check us out. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think you know, there's a lot of Australian bands go to America these days, but not you know, maybe not do the smaller towns or the yeah. uh, smaller events. I think uh, when we did the fest for the first time with the Death and the Family, I think yeah. um, it was one of the first times. You know that they had Australian bands playing, mm, so mm. that was that was kind of nice and yeah. something a little different. But, yeah, and um, that's kind of carried on over the few years now as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, obviously Smith Street Band have played there yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah. times now, and the Bennies and uh, yeah, uh, I think the Bennies are going back there this year. Yeah, and Laura right. Palmer have played there. Yeah, and, which is so, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. While all this is happening, uh, what at what point does does Poison City Records factor in? Like, uh, when did when does that start? Uh, so. The first release I did was in 2003. Okay, yeah, right. And that was uh, a band I was doing with just some friends. It was kind of a... I'd moved from Geelong to Melbourne. Right. And oh, yeah, we, right. we started a band called Fast Times. And yeah. it was basically just kind of like skate thrashy, kind of short, fun, sing-along, kind of, you know, old-style hardcore sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, that was 2003. And not long after that... Uh, started playing in a death in the family with Adam yeah. and Sarah and we had a different drummer at the start Yeah. and around about the same time I think Fast Times maybe we had a record ready earlier and I guess I'd always had this idea of doing like a little hobby bedroom label Yeah, right. and it's like well I'm in a band and yeah. I don't think anyone's going to want to put out our record so maybe this is a good time to, to try and pursue that in just a total total hobby way there was no yeah. no intention of anything other and when a death and the family got around to doing like a sort of an ep demo thing i thought well there's two releases and sure. you know uh they're bands i'm playing in so i, I just did it and yeah sure you know, where and did that where did that stem from though like uh, where did you kind of get that kind of diy ethic from was it just from being surrounded by that punk community and realizing oh shit you don't need like a million dollars to put out records and yeah. distribute things and shit. Yeah, well, I think it was it was more for needing to have those releases out at the time, you know. I yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't feel like they belonged on any particular label or that any labels were likely to put it out, so it was just more out of need, I suppose. But then, you know, in the back of my mind, I, you know, grew up loving Discord Records and, yeah. you know, SST and Tang yeah, and sure. all, those, all those great US labels and... Then at some point you realise that oh there's like Resist Records in Sydney and they're doing something similar but you know yeah. they're from Australia and then there's Trial and Error Records in Melbourne doing like hardcore stuff and some cool little mail orders like Spiral Objective and those sort of labels and uh, I was kind of inspired by that it's like you know, punk rock doesn't have to be just an American kind of based thing yeah, and there's people in Australia doing this and why can't I have a go at doing that as well you yeah. know let's let's see what happens and, yeah but it was it was total hobby and it was more just because I was playing in those bands I didn't I didn't have illusions of doing anything else yeah so when did the when did the store come into play uh, that wasn't until 2007 I think we, we right. opened up the store yeah um, and it was kind of tricky at the start because that was also the time that a death and family got a little bit busier and a bit yeah, more serious. Yeah, so I think the two months, oh, maybe not even two months after we opened the store, and you know, kind of Poison City became more an official thing, I guess, because we had a store. But it was yeah. also the same time that we got asked to go to this, back to the states to tour with Gaslight Anthem. Right. Yeah. 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 So I was like, oh no, I've, you know, 
I've bitten off this like new business thing yeah. and you know this is going to be my my whole thing for now and I need to focus on it you know but then I also can't say no to a US tour and no, yeah. so it was really lucky my partner Kirsten she's amazing and yeah. she just stepped in and she's like you know there's no reason you can't do both and I'll look after the shop you go away and go on tour for a month and yeah um, so you know it's just been lucky having such a supportive person like that yeah of course um, there from the start and uh, you know we didn't you know Death and Family did a couple more overseas tours but we never kicked into full time full on touring band it was you know it was kind of serious for a couple of years but yeah I guess it was manageable with, with work and Matt was still managing at the art house and Matt and Mel you know then went on to do the Reverence Hotel yeah yeah and, right we were all busy with stuff and you know, I guess it, it went from being semi-serious for a while to you know sort of petering out yeah. when, when we broke up but everyone was kind of very involved in, in music and yeah. other ways so absolutely was the end of Death and the Family kind of I don't know having that kind of double life and momentum going for both of them and it's like something had to give or I think we maybe just hit the wall like creatively I really think that was where it got to like yeah. we were really struggling to write that third album and you know once again like we never had really any illusions with that band about like you know going on the road full time or whatever yeah, but yeah. we wanted we wanted everything that we did to be good and I guess we just reached that point where we just couldn't like kind of get a direction going on the third album and it took like you know a year of kind of writing and then we sort of had it half written and we demoed a bunch of stuff yeah and then we, we sort of locked ourselves away. We had like a room at a um, this apartment room and it was sort of set up as a proper studio and we pretty much went there like, you know, every second or third day. Yeah, like, yeah. Adam was pretty much there every day. You're just yeah. trying to get this record done and so we could, you know, really for me the, the writing process was always kind of like getting blood from a stone with a death in the family. There's, oh, a, there's yeah. always like heaps of ideas floating around but there was never a one single songwriter so I guess everything took a long time. And you know, we just wanted to get the record done, so hopefully we could go back to Europe or do the yeah. do the fun stuff. You know, yeah. the, the writing process is cool, but you know, for me personally, it's always like you do that. The studio process is fun, but really the touring and you know, getting out there and playing that—that's what I really got into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was just like hanging to write this third record so we could go on tour again. Yeah. And it just never, it just never got there, and you know, we never butted heads like severely yeah. over it, but we just couldn't kind of get it together sure. and instead of just releasing something that was like kind of thrown together or cut and paste we just I don't know you know we just all sat down and we're like you know we've had such a good run and I guess tried to think about it in a positive light that we sort of ended while people seemed to you know respect the band and yeah, you know 100%. yeah not that we're any ever any massive band but the fact that we did this overseas stuff and that people seemed to like what we were doing it was kind of felt like all right well if that's it that's it you know yeah. it's like we don't want to be old and stale and yeah you know. <laughs> so Freakwave came into the picture a couple of years ago and uh, I guess the thing that the thing when I've talked to people about Freakwave the thing that people seem to love is that you guys definitely seem to treat it you know as it's it's your weekend band you know because yeah. you, you're all you know you've got your families and you've got lives away from it and stuff like that like you're still like recording putting out music and you know you enjoy it and stuff like that but the best part is that you guys know that it's not as intense as it was for you know Death and the Family back in the day and things yeah. like that you know yeah. it's it's very much you know like 
one bit at a time, you know, just playing shows every now and then, you know, and shit like that. Like, yeah. when when Freakwave started up, was that what you wanted out of music? Like, were you kind of at all reluctant to kind of get back into that side of things? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, music, playing music, you know, is, there's a certain aspect of, like, you know, you, you're kind of addicted to doing it in, in yeah, a way. Like, sure. A Death in the Family was, you know, it never got to the point, as I said, we were like a full-time band and that was like wholly consuming, but we were serious enough to, you know, you did think about it all the time. Like, yeah, what are we yeah. going to do next? When are we going to record? What, you know, can we get overseas again? You yeah. know, all these things. As soon as it was done and we did the last show and the last show was amazing and we just, I was just like, awesome. I don't have to think about rehearsal. Yeah. I don't, you know, I was never going to sell my gear and like totally, but that lasted like seriously for about three months and then yeah. I was like oh I miss this and I, I think what it came back to is I I miss like the social aspect of it and sure yeah yeah I don't have driving ambitions to be in like a full on serious band but yeah 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 uh, I, I miss the you know there's a certain camaraderie with being in a band and mm. that chemistry of playing music with people and I missed it pretty quickly and at some point Mike and Neil from Kill Whitey like we're saying, oh, we've, you know, since Kilwadi finished up a few years ago, we've got all these like demo, like home demos and like some lo-fi sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, have a listen, see what you think. You know, I was always a massive Kilwadi fan. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, sure. I love Neil and Mo, Mike and I, I think, like taste-wise and you know, sort of similar, similar age, and we sort of get along in that. We sort of seem to enjoy that that similar sort of music. Mm. Yeah, they were just like just sending some stuff over, and they had this massive like catalog of just all these sort of like bedroom demos and mm. stuff that to me sounded like not fully formed Kilwadi songs and I was like yeah, this, right. this stuff's awesome and it's I was and then uh, Mike actually lives just down the road from me now yeah, yeah. so one Friday night he's like hey you should come around and bring your bass and let's just have a play and you know so I did that and uh, yeah we recorded some stuff we just re-demoed some stuff with some bass on there yeah, and yeah. it was sounding fun and it, was just, it just felt really good to be with familiar people, but people I hadn't actually played in a band with before. Yeah. And the first six months of Freakway was really like sitting around the lounge room, having some beers, socialising, mm. talking shit with, you know, just generally being old dudes and, yeah. you know, grumbling about stuff. And we always joked about it as sort of being like going into the reserves football. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you sort of like still turn up once a week, but you can be hungover or drunk and you can still, oh, you know, yeah, or course. unfit and still get away with with playing so yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, I just just love that aspect of it and you know somewhere along the line we started forming some songs and yeah. then Adrian who Lombi who used to play in Blue Line Medic and One Inch Punch and yeah, yeah, yeah. NYC heaps of great bands um, I guess he was sort of in the same boat he was like sort of missing music and hadn't been playing as much and yeah, yeah we sent him some stuff and he was into it <coughs> and then yeah Neil was singing and drumming for a while at the start yeah, and, we, yeah. and some point Neil was like oh I want to just have a go at singing like you know my arms get tired so <laughs> <laughs> and uh, somehow we convinced uh, Matt Bodes who's like you know he's a really busy guy as well he runs the reverence and yeah, yeah. you know they've got a kid as well and he was just like yeah actually I, I need a bit of an outlet as well you know kind of miss playing in a band and yeah. hanging out with people and so somehow we convinced him to, to jump back on the kit again. Yeah. And, yeah, it just feels really good. It's it's very much... It is a weekend warrior kind of band. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We, 
to do a bunch of stuff, but everyone's enthusiastic and we still like you know take time to try and write good songs. Yeah. And, um, but it's it's really an outlet, you know, for for the other stuff that we do in our lives. Yeah. And, you know, if we get asked to do, play a show up in Sydney, we'll go up to Sydney. If we get asked to do a, you know a little tour, we got to do a tour with Scream Feeder last year, and that yeah, was like yeah, yeah. massive. You know, we're all, all big Scream Feeder, oh, like sure, yeah. Australian '90s kind of music fans. Yeah, that's yeah, that's no our doubt. era of stuff. And, that was that was a real buzz. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're just gonna do bits and pieces. It's it's just an outlet and yeah. it's you know some people play sports or whatever and yeah. you know, <laughs> we just uh, we sit around a lounge room and drink beer or you know play a bit of guitar. What more do you want? Yeah. <laughs> was the first Frankish was that upstairs at the Gatso? Was that at the Precamber? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny, I yeah. remember that because yeah, the year, almost a year to the date was the last ever Death in the Family show. Yeah. And then one year later, it's the first ever Freakway show. Yeah, yeah, funny about that. I know, right? <laughs> like, I was talking to, when I was talking to Lucy Wilson, uh, like, talking about how the first weekend she played, she didn't even have, like, a song out, but she was playing because just, you know, like, Will knew her and people knew her and stuff like that. And, like, yeah. everyone was just discovering her. Yep. And then the year after that, she had the EP out and people knew her songs. And then the year after that was with Sugar Cane. Yep. And then she just played, like, one of the best sets of the whole oh, weekend. Oh, they, they were know? amazing. Absolutely like, incredible. I, I was, like, yeah. is, it, is it funny to go through and look at look at the weekend, even yourself included, and look at the timeline of, like, the evolution of the acts? Like, I suppose Will and the Smith Street one is, you know, the big one. Like, sure. Uh, going from the little font on the bottom line to yep. second line, then absolute biggest font possible, you yep. know, stuff like yep. that. Like, yeah. do, you, do you kind of look back at the weekend and just like, oh, okay, so this is this is what was going on at the time. It's like a time capsule. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like that. I mean, I was, I was talking to Jen Buxton um, uh, yesterday yeah. at the Rev. And we were trying to count back because we did like a weekend of fest kind of thing at the ESPY like a year oh, before yeah, it officially yeah, that's started. Right, yeah. And Jen's like, I feel like that was eight years ago, and I, and I was just saying, no, nah, it was definitely wasn't eight years ago. And then we worked it out, and I think it kind of was. So oh shit, it's just yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it is like that. Yeah, you can definitely look back on it. Sometimes it all just blurs into blurs into one but I guess it comes down to like the bands like you know the hard work that they put in and mm-hmm. you know we obviously try and the, the bands that have been busy over those 12 months they're the ones that we try and give a run yeah. you know a, a decent run to I guess it's kind of reward for getting out there and touring and you know obviously they're bands that people want to see because we get a lot of interstate people and they're the bands yeah. that are up in Sydney all the time or Brisbane or yeah, yeah, of you know so it's Generally, a lot of the, the local lineup stuff, we we look at bands that are sort of out there, hard working, touring, and and uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it's cool to see them sort of going up through the through the years. And, yeah, it's a great. And then some bands drop off, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. some bands might reform and play again. But yeah. you know, and then obviously, real emphasis on trying to mix in new stuff every year. That's yeah, absolutely. You know, it's real. It, it is actually really hard to not sort of rehash too much stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it is a great representation of the label and, and yeah. what we're about, but it's also nice to, you know, kind of bring in other bands that basically just bands that we like and, yeah. you know, like as people, we, we want to work with nice people and, yeah. uh, you know, if they're good bands as well, we, you know, try and give them a run. Yeah, for sure. I, I, it's interesting, like, over the years, uh, a lot of people have kind of used Poison City 
as a genre and said, oh, you know, they're like a Poison City band. That for a while, I guess, at least for a certain period of time, there was that aesthetic, you know, like being yeah. the kind of the hard on sleeve melodic punk band from from Melbourne. You know, there was yeah. a lot of those kind of things going around. But I think I think the great thing about Poison City Records now is that it's harder to be a quote unquote Poison City band. You know, like signing stuff like Hair Women and you know Bat Hiss and Flower and like Horror My Friend. You know, yeah. who, who, who just signed like. Is that important to you to kind of reflect being an independent label, not just being like a like quote unquote punk label? Sure, you know? yeah, like, yeah, and, and yeah. kind of adapting and yeah. like expanding out into different styles and ideas of, about how music should be made and things like that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've got I've got a really diverse taste in music. And yeah. To me, I, I can see that like early on, maybe the first 10, 15 releases that we did. I guess yeah, you could just you know file under melodic punk rock or you know like 90s inspired punk rock or whatever whatever you want to call it and that I I get that that's that's totally fine but uh, I guess it it doesn't I don't really like try and look for bands that suit the label in any particular sound or way it's it's really comes down to you know I like a lot of different bands and, and if I hear a band that like I think have got something unique and they're nice people and they're hard working like I want to work with them. Yeah. I don't care if they're a soul band or an acoustic band or like a you know sludgy punk band or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And that that's really been my approach. And I, I get really stoked when people do recognise that. That it's yeah. like you know people say, hang on, you, you know, Harmony and Smith Street Band and Batpiss, yeah, and Mere Women and Lincoln Lefevre and yeah. Clowns. It's like that's not really a sound. It's like. That's, it's, yeah, that's, that, the that, point. that's exactly yeah. the point. It's yeah. like I love all those bands yeah. and artists, and I think they they suit the the spirit of our label. So yeah. I, I guess we're you know we're looking at bands that, that sit with what we're about and friendly people and nice people and that that's who I want to work with. And that's yeah. that's as simple as the you know the equation <laughs> really is. Like I, I yeah I don't think they're. I, I think if anyone says that there's a specific sound to our label, I don't. Yeah. I don't think they've listened to enough of our stuff. Yeah, yeah, not recently. Anyway. No. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the message to all the kids out there. If you want to get signed to Poison City, be nice. Yeah. Okay, be fucking nice. Be nice. Don't post shit on Facebook. All yeah. right? <laughs> I'm not over on Facebook. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm old. I'm old school. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're only on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll wrap it up here, but before we do that, I ask this all of my guests, and now it is your turn, good sir. I want to know about your best and worst gig experiences as a performer. You can feel free to start on either or, oh. uh, and the floor is yours. Best gig experience? I'm going to say two. Okay. I'm going to say two. Yeah, go for it. My death and family, we got to play a handful of shows in Finland. Oh, yeah. Back first ever tour overseas, and I distinctly remember the first ever time we played overseas was this show we did in Finland, right up near the Russian border. Oh, wow. And it was just, the show itself was maybe like 50 or 60 people, small like DIY kind of show, and I just, just remember like being a teenager and stuff, that thinking that being in a band's one thing, but getting to play outside your country like that just would never happen you know that that's not possible like you yeah, know I'll yeah, never yeah. I'll never be in that band and I just remember that yeah the first series overseas show we did middle of nowhere in Finland there was 50 or 60 people and we were jet lagged as hell mm. like just going what are, what are we even doing here this is so weird and 
the crowd was just so good and I think we actually even came out and did an encore and crazy. it was just like yeah th- this is why we've been rehearsing for years and this is you know yeah, yeah. like doing all the hard yards and you know, there's only a handful of people there but it really made I don't know I just after that show I was like even if we only do another few overseas shows that's that's enough for me. It's yeah, just for such sure. a cool experience beyond anything that I'd imagine doing. One of the other shows I think was, well, really when when Freakwave did the run of shows with Scream Feeder, I'm going to couple yeah. that all in together, um, and we did a boat show oh, on wow. that on that tour. And I think you know, for more like the current shows that I've been involved in, that, that was just amazing. I mean, Scream Feeder were one of my all-time favorite teenage bands, and. I kind of sep- in a way separate the fact that you know like the fact that we're working with them on the label that's amazing yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. you know the fact that we got to play a little run of shows with them and you know uh, and, and this boat cruise show we did last summer was just amazing and it's like one of my favourite Australian bands if not Australian uh, if not bands yeah, it's stop, ever, yeah, yeah. on a boat in the middle of Melbourne there's like 300 people on board and it was like I don't know just, just one of those special special shows yeah absolutely there's probably other ones I'll remember later that I'm yeah, like oh, I should yeah. have said that but. <laughs> so what about your worst worst Ooh. I do remember a show the first the first time we went to the states yeah was the fest plus like a consistent run of shows with like the draft and dead to me and gaslight anthem and those yep, shows yep. were all cool but then, because that was only a handful of shows, we kind of pieced together some, like, basement shows. We were basically just hitting people up on probably MySpace back then, just saying, like, you know, we've got this date off and this date off, can we get shows? We had a few shows pieced together for us, like, you know, some one kid in one town had heard of our band. I just remember this one show we played, and Matt pretty much played a toy drum kit. Oh, shit. And we all played pretty much practice amps and it wasn't so much the sound it was like in this really ghetto area I can't I can't even remember the city actually the deep south in the states uh-huh. and I just just one of those shows nothing worked there was a handful of people there felt like we may have got robbed or shot outside the venue oh, fuck. and it was just you know I, I don't know I just just remember that of that was a moment of like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Why aren't I at home with my girlfriend? You know. Yeah, right. Um, but then you know, then you go drive somewhere the next day, and it's like, oh, it's a great show. There's like, yeah. you know, just the women's show, there, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. There's been lots of bad shows, let's be yeah. honest. But yeah. Yeah. For some reason that one just sticks out to me. Yeah, well, you got to say the good with the bad, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, so, are there any uh, upcoming Poison City things that you would like to plug? We are doing. What have we got coming up? We're doing the new Menis record, oh, dope, which is yeah. awesome. Another band that I just can't believe we're working with. Sure, yeah, Been yeah, a yeah. teenage fan. There'll be a new Benny single later in the year. Yeah. Hopefully, a bunch of new albums next year. New Benny's album, new Clowns album. I would hope a new apart from this album. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of things coming up. The new Flower record's really awesome. Oh, sick! Like they're kind of a newish Melbourne band, but yep. you know, old guys that have been around for ages. Uh, would like to think there's maybe a new harmony record, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, there's definitely going to be a new deep heat record. Yes. Uh, that's halfway done. Fucking but, Yeah. There's lot. There's lots of things that are that are coming up that's super exciting, and I don't know. We're just we're just stoked to be doing what we're doing. Fucking A, man. That's uh, great yeah. to hear. PoisonCityRecords.com is your hookup. Get in on that shit and support this fucking amazing label and this fucking amazing man. 
Andy, thank you so much for your time, dude. Uh, really mate, appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Always mate. a pleasure. Uh, cheers, man. Thanks, buddy. I'm David Ginger, and all my friends are in love. This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.